Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Every Life is Touched by Trials. Every life is touched by trials. Now we learn something in the Bible and it's simply this. Everything under the sun, S-U-N, is vanity and emptiness. That's another way of saying that this world has nothing for us. As we turn to the left and we turn to the right, we learn that everything under the sun as we seek satisfaction and peace in the things of this world, is emptiness and vanity. That's the testimony of King Solomon. He had it all. Everything a person would want, Solomon had and more. He had money, he had wisdom, he had possessions, he had power, he had prestige, he had as many women as he wanted, but nothing satisfied him. He was left empty and hollow. He writes the biblical book, Ecclesiastes, inspired by the Holy Spirit to let us know how it all went as he chased after these things. But at the end of the book, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he comes to the wonderful conclusion, and I'll share it with you now. He says in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's the summary. With a man that's had everything, and a man that's experienced so much, and a man that had overabundance, I dare say there are some of you listening right now that you think if you just had, there would be peace. If you just had more of, there would be happiness. If you just had what they had, oh, so, so, so much satisfaction would come to my life. But take it from Solomon. If you seek peace and satisfaction from anywhere else than Jesus Christ, you will be left empty and hollow. And while it's true, everything under the sun, S-U-N, is emptiness and vanity, everything in the sun, S-O-N, is precious and wonderful. A relationship with Jesus Christ satisfies the hurting soul. It satisfies the one that's struggling. But that's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? Everything in the sun is precious and wonderful. There's some of you right now giving resistance. You go, wait a minute, Ed, wait a minute. Everything? Everything? Everything in the sun is precious and wonderful? Is that just another pastoral platitude that you throw out like we're all supposed to accept everything? Listen, I realize that life is filled with pain and sorrow. And I recognize that that's a hard thing to hear. Because we have to ask, if everything in the sun is so wonderful and great, then what about my broken dreams? Or my broken relationships? Or shattered lives? What about sickness, disease? What about divorce and abandonment? What about pain and sorrow and suffering? What about death and grief and lingering discouragement and depression? What about, what about the womb that won't conceive what about the lost baby? What about my past? 
I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. They're a part of my life. They're in the sun. How can they be precious and wonderful? Peter says in our text in verse 19, he says, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Suffering according to the will of God. As we survey the scriptures, we find many people that could ask similar questions in the circumstances of their life. Consider Joseph. As we're introduced to Joseph, he's sold to traitors by his own brothers. Literally sold. The brothers go home and lie to their dad. Say that Joseph is gone and done with. Then he's falsely accused. Then he's thrown in prison. Then he's forgotten for 13 years to waste away. I mean, if we were there with Joseph in the pit saying, it's going to be okay, Joe, don't worry about it. We know the end of the story. God is going to use this for good. You know, it would be easy to say, but it would be hard for Joseph to say, what? You're standing there, dude. Get me out. I don't want to know about 40 years from now or 30 years from now. Get me out now. And yet, what happens in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? Joseph went from the pit to the prison to the palace because God had a plan for his life. And it was in that place in the palace where he is able to look at his own brothers, arranged sovereignly by God, to look at his own brothers and say, hey guys, I just want you to know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. To bring it about even as it is this day to save many. There's a purpose to pain. How about Moses? Moses spent two-thirds of his life in the wilderness. The, the second 40 years of his life, he spent in the wilderness in isolation, alone. Why? Because of his disobedience. He sensed that he was a deliverer sent by God, but he took things into his own hands, killed a man, and spent 40 years in the backside of the desert, alone and isolated. Nowhere near where he believed God would have him. And yet what God was doing in those 40 years was undoing all the things that the world had taught him in the previous 40 years. And then when it was time, he rose up to deliver the people of God only to spend the next 40 years of his life in the wilderness wandering around with murmuring, complaining people. Even from his own mistake at the end, he didn't enter in, but little did he know I mean, can you think? You could speak to Moses in the wilderness and say, hey, bro, I'm telling you, your ministry is going to be worth it. The time you're investing in Joshua, it's going to be amazing. You will, be, you will just be blown away by how much Joshua is going to do as he takes the next generation, conquers the land, the nation gets established, and it opens, it paves the way for the Messiah to come. But if you would have told Moses that, he's like, what? I just, I just want to get back to where I think God wanted me. How about those young men? We know a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their whole life was ahead of them. They had everything. They were young. They were vibrant. They had a tenacious faith in God. And what happened to them? They were taken into captivity. And it wasn't even their own doing. They were taken into captivity for mistakes of the previous generations where God was exacting. 
his Sabbath rest that was avoided for so many years. And there they are, young and thriving, men of God, bound and thrown into the fiery furnace. And I'm sure if we were able to get to them before they got close to the fire and say, guys, you don't, don't understand. You don't understand. You're going in bound, but you're coming out loosed. You're going to be a testimony of faithfulness to every young man and young woman that will read your story in the future. It'll be amazing. It'll be great. Can you imagine their response? Would you just let me out and save me from the fire? But it wasn't God's will. They were to go into that fiery furnace and they went in bound and tied, but they came out free. Why? Because God was working. God is always working through the trials in our lives. There isn't ever a time where God is not working all things together for the good. This is so important. Grasp this as we begin our time studying this important topic. There is no way whatsoever any of us in this room listening live on the radio, listening at a later date, CD, MP3, you are listening on the app, however it is you're hearing my voice, there is no way whatsoever that any of us can sidestep the pains and problems and sorrows and sufferings of life. They come to us all, both those that have a faith in Jesus Christ and those that don't. As Jesus would teach us in Matthew chapter five, he reigns on the just and the unjust. It's the same for all of us. And it's in this series of Bible studies over the next few weeks that we'll grow in our understanding of how God uses them all. And we begin here in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 12. As Peter, from experience, would write, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And that's the problem, isn't it? That's the difficulty with any trial, big or small, that comes into our lives. It's met with shock and surprise. We're shocked and surprised that such a thing would happen to me. And it's a natural response to which Peter says, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. And yet, thinking trials are strange is a stumbling block for us. It has a tendency to undermine our faith. Somewhere in our minds, we really do believe that we should avoid some things for our dedication to following God. It's just built into us. And the more comfortable things are in our lives, the more disruptive a trial will be. And the more disruptive a trial will be, the more we'll begin to question the faithfulness of God and wonder in a very real way, why is this happening? It seems strange to us that the righteous suffer while the ungodly seem to have it all. It seems strange to us that after all that we've done, our time will be rewarded with such pain. It seems strange to us that here we are living for God while others hate God and seem to prosper. It's times like these where questions are asked like, is this how God treats his children? Is this how God rewards faithfulness? Is this my God's reward for good behavior? And we think it's strange. It's not an unusual feeling. If you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm 73. It's not unusual. The psalmist was wrestling with this. He considered it strange, the circumstances of his life. 
He didn't quite understand why he was under such difficulty and he was experiencing such a trial and then those that hated God openly seemed to get away with everything. Pick up with me in verse 1, Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as pure in heart. That's a good beginning. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, verse 6. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, verse 11, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Let's pause there. He's wrestling with the very things of which we speak. He looks around and sees the atheist, and he sees the agnostic, and he sees the pagan, and he sees the God-hater, and they appear to never have a problem. They appear to never have a difficulty. Then he looks at his own life, and he says, wait a minute. I love you, God. I'm dedicated. I lead worship for you. I serve you. And it was too painful for me to figure it all out. And then things change in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. So many times we gather together simply to gain a right understanding and a right perspective of the faithfulness of God. That, that is what many of you will simply receive today of all that is shared and all the scriptures that are given. What God will give you today is a renewed perspective on the reality of your life and his faithfulness. And other things will follow as you grow in his grace and his knowledge. We need to come together for the right perspective. Because trials and difficulties tend to isolate us and pull us away from the very people that God wants to help us. In life, in the real world, things will be hard and painful. Yes, good things happen to bad people. And yes, bad things happen to good people. And yes, bad things happen to bad people. And yes, good things happen to good people. We all experience similar things. And I have to say, you know, as a pastor, a fellow believer, what I see on so-called Christian television today when it relates to sickness and pain makes me sick. It made me sick many years ago, but after the loss of my son, it makes me even sicker to see people taking advantage of in their deepest pain 
What we hear on this, on television today, is this constant barrage of false claims by false teachers that if you just give to their cause, if you just support their ministry, if you just give them your money, then you will have special favor that's connected to them, and sickness won't touch you, and tenfold blessings will follow you, and to that I say, nonsense. It's untrue. It's not right. Everyone goes through pain. If you give and you give right now, and even to the point where you need some faith, I'll tell you, here, give by faith. Take out your credit card. I know you don't have any. It's a ripoff. And it's not true. Let me, let me just say that there are some in our congregation right now. One of them, God put on my heart this morning to email her as a widow in our church. I haven't seen her around in a while, so I texted her. I, I emailed her, and I said, are you doing okay? Everything all right? And she shared with me an update, and then the second paragraph of her email said, you know, I just can't come to church right now for a variety of reasons in her own heart, the burden she carries. She just doesn't have the energy in this season of her life to be among the saints. Yes, she connects online, and, and yes, we hear from her from time to time, and we pray for her that she'll get strong enough to return, but she, like many, are at home right now, alone and isolated, and vulnerable because you just don't have the strength. Whether it's widowhood or discouragement or depression, whether it's a business loss or a divorce, whether it's a financial difficulty, across the board, there are the weak and the vulnerable. And what is being propagated on television is not the real world, it's TV land. It's unreal. Because those in the real world are ministering to real needs and real people, and real suffering, and real sorrows, that Jesus Christ himself has made the way of healing and hope and a peace to the soul by faith. If you'll turn to him, he has given to you peace and freedom for free. It's a free gift of God, the grace of God. Real people suffering with real things and have a genuine growing faith in Jesus Christ. The suffering in your life is not because you lack faith. The suffering in your life is because we all go through suffering and difficulties and trials. I see and hear things almost every day, difficult things within the context of our ministry here. I mean, that's why you need to be praying for your pastors and your leaders because they too see things and hear things all day, every day to the point where even when they start hearing things, they become, we become discouraged in our own Christian life, keep hearing the brokenness of sin in people's lives. To, to hear yet again of someone falling off the wagon and making some huge mistake destroying their family, to hear again of another prodigal child, to hear again of another court date, to hear again of another life lost while they're a prodigal, and on the list will go. It can be discouraging on top of discouragement, but back in Peter, in 1 Peter, he tells us, don't think it strange. If you like to write in your Bible, circle the word strange, and write next to it in verse 12, astonished, surprised, to be shocked, or to be amazed. Don't be astonished of the fiery trial that's about to try you, or the one that you're in right now. Don't be shocked, don't be surprised, don't be amazed. It's normal, it's normal Christian life. I like how the New Living Translation translates that verse. Dear friends, 
Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if some strange thing was happening to you. Or I like to paraphrase the message. He does a good job with this verse. He says, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Don't think it's strange, church. It's normal. Hard, but normal. Notice verse 13. He gives us the antidote, the response to the fiery trial. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. Now, Peter is writing to a group of believers that are undergoing great trial and difficulty because of their faith. It doesn't exclude some of the other things that are going on in everyday life, but he's saying, you guys rejoice because you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5, would you? Let's go back to Matthew 5. And be reminded of what Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry. As he reminded us of the reality of sharing in his sufferings and the blessing of persecution within the kingdom. Notice in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And what's his instruction? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter now says rejoice. Rejoice. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard response to have. It's downright impossible at times to rejoice in the midst of of a trial. It's the last thing on your mind. How do I rejoice when the situation is so hard and so hurtful? Well, it's only by the strength and the abiding of the Holy Spirit in your life that enables us to do the impossible. Don't misunderstand what Peter or Jesus is saying here. He's not saying to rejoice for the trials, to get that attitude of, oh, this is so good, God. Give me more. Oh, I'm so happy. Give me more. Give me my friends, too, and my neighbors. I want... that's, That's foolishness. But rather, we're, te- we're taught and we learn not to rejoice for, but to rejoice in. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. He alone enables us to make it through another day. Or when days come together, another week or a year. God, through our everyday lives, will often put before us an impossibility, a challenge in our faith. Here's a trial, rejoice. And we say, God, I need you within me to well up joy that I might worship you when things are bad. Because it's easy to worship him when things are going well, isn't it? It's easy to put our hands up when there's money in the bank. It's easy to, to show up when our health is doing well. It's easy when things are going, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Bam. Now what? Hallelujah. I mean, we get it out a little bit. We're just like, okay, Lord, this is great. And then, then we begin to doubt. 
We begin to take our focus off of the things of God. Let me show you. Would you turn over to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12. Because what we learn in Hebrews 12 is what we're going to see here in Peter. Rejoice that you, to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Well, notice what Jesus Christ went through and what our instruction is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It literally means to stare with awe and admiration. It's the idea of don't take your eyes off of him. Stare to the point of, of even, you know how, it, how it's, there are times when people stare at you and it's so uncomfortable? I mean, stare to the point of discomfort at Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the author and the finisher of your faith who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured, he despised, and the trial ended for him. He sat down at the right hand of God. Notice verse three. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, because you have not yet resisted to bloodshed in striving against sin. What did Jesus go through? What did he experience? When the Bible says to rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, what are those? Well, by the way, circle the word partake. It's a familiar Greek word. It's the Greek word koinonia, which is often translated fellowship. But it's a deeper word that means to share in common, to to share together, where you're going through it together that the pain of Jesus Christ now is lived out in your life and mine through our pain and we share together our pain. We learn what it's like to endure. The, the Greek word for endure in Hebrews is hupemone. It literally means to bear up under the pressure and not give up. It has a, an idea of steadying on and not quitting and not turning back. You're gonna make it. Why? Because Jesus is the author and the finisher. He's not just the author, he's the finisher. He's not just the author. Turn to someone and say, he's the finisher. Go ahead, say it, tell him. Tell him, he's the finisher. And if you didn't tell anybody, I'm telling you right now. He's the finisher of your faith. You're gonna make it. It's his strength and it's his hope. It's his presence in our lives. What did he go through? Well, Jesus was beaten. He was insulted. He had a crown of thorns upon his head. He was betrayed. His face was covered and he was slapped, open-fisted, full force on his face. He was whipped on his back until the flesh was ripped open and off his bones. Before the crucifixion, he was scourged. That whipping and that beating by the Roman guards just before someone was taken to the cross. William Barclay in his commentary says, Roman scourging was a terrible torture. The victim was stripped. His hands were tied behind him. And he was tied to a post with his back bent double and conveniently exposed to the lash. The lash itself was a long leather thong studded at intervals with sharpened pieces of bone and pellets of lead. Such scourging always preceded crucifixion and it reduced the naked body to strips of raw flesh and inflamed and bleeding wounds. Men died under it and most men lost their reason under it 
and few remain conscious to the end of it. Just a very small snapshot of the reward of Jesus Christ after 30 years of perfect living, sinless. Rejoice because the sufferings you're going through are shared with your Savior. The sufferings we face are shared. The fiery trials work a benefit in our lives. As we'll learn in another study, James say, tells us that trials produce, they develop. And it's true, God will send storms our way. And it's true, God will allow difficulties in our lives that will test our faith. He's seeking to find in us that deep sense of faith in our hearts to reveal the level of trust that we have in the moment. Not just with our lips, but with our lives. There's nothing that I can do except trust God through them. Nothing. I have no resources to help. I can't turn to the left and I can't turn to the right. I can only look up. He wants to show me something in my life. He wants me to see my heart and my tendency to veer off and wander away from him in that intimate relationship. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. Friends, God is at work, and it's not strange that he would work this way. You see it all throughout the scriptures gloriously leading us to the end that he desires. What many mean for evil, God is going to turn around for good. For those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. Think about the children of Israel in the wilderness wandering. They are wandering in the wilderness as a result of their own failure. They're living out the consequence of their own sin. So what was God's response? Did he abandon them? Did he discard them? Did he ignore them? quite the opposite. In the wilderness, we learn, in the wilderness wandering, we learn as opposed or compared to an unfaithful people, we see a faithful God. He was faithful to them every day, supplied all of their needs. Everything that they needed, God supplied. Their, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. And what about the manna? God created a supernatural, miraculous food for them that he gave to them how? Every day. Only every day. <clears throat> Said, you have to pick it up and you gotta go get it only what you need for the day. It wasn't the kind of food that you could take and you could hide in your tent or you could put in the back of the kitchen or behind the stove or put under your pillow. If you took more manna than you needed, what was in excess would have rotted away. And so, God said, go out and get what you need. And, and he provided to everyone. He provided to the weakest person that was wandering in the wilderness. All they needed to do was go get the manna. And he also provided to the one that was the strongest, you know, the youngest buck that would just run outside and be the first one. I'm going to get my manna first. I'm going to tell everybody I got it first. Well, he would provide to them too. From the strong to the weak, God provided. And of course, we know that on the sixth day, they were able to get they were able to take two portions so that they could not go out on the Sabbath and fulfill their covenant relationship with God. God provided. They had manna every day. In the wilderness wanderings, which become a type and a picture of our own pain and problems, God was both present, 
He was present. He gave them a cloud by day and a light by night. He was both present and their provider. And they got just what they need, just when they needed it, every day, until the next generation entered in to the promised land where God continued to be a provider to them in many different ways. God is able to feed you and provide for your every need, especially in the difficulties you're facing right now. God is able to lead you and guide you through the middle of this horrible time or even the one to come. In the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of your storm, you need to see and seek God. This is no time for selfish introspection and pity parties. They will not get you where you want to go. But rather, we take those concerns and burdens and we cast them upon the feet of our Jesus who's faithful and rejoice that in our lives we are learning just a little bit more of the pain and the suffering that Jesus went for you, that you might have a relationship with him, the sacrifice. Sometimes, he says in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. So if you're going to suffer, suffer for righteous sake. Don't, don't suffer by bringing it upon yourself. Although even if you do, God will be faithful. It'll be hard, but God will be faithful. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. I believe that's a word of the Lord for someone here today that just has felt shame about the weakness in their life through this trial. The Bible says don't be ashamed but glorify God in the matter. Worship God. The time has come, verse 17, for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. There are times of discipline. God will use our pain and our difficulties to discipline us and to train us. Sometimes trouble comes as a means to chasten us and disciple us and reveal to us what's in our own heart. And it's always good in a time of difficulty, it's always good to pause and just ask the question, God, is there something in my life that needs attention? What are you wanting me to see? Because it's easy to complain, and it's easy to whine, and it's easy to feel sorry for ourselves when times are tough, but pray for the strength to persevere. Pray for the strength to get through it the next day. Because the choice in every difficulty, the choice today is so wonderful. Because trials are going to be a part of your life, but with them, we get a choice. We can't really choose the trials that we go through, but we can choose how to respond. We don't get a menu of, okay, this week is a trial, and here, Ed, you get to pick of all these five. Like, no, is there a number six? We don't get to choose how this life, whether it is my own sin or the sin of someone else or just the general sin of a fallen world, we don't get to choose how things happen and what comes into our lives, but we do get to choose how to respond. That is something God has given to us something that he'll help us with, something that he'll train us. He'll teach us how to choose. And how does he do that? 
by allowing or even sending trials our way. And we learn to choose to follow him. Really, the choice is between two things. We can either A, give up and let the enemy defeat us, or B, we can consider it appointed and allowed by God in our lives to work in a wonderful way, and we can trust God even when things are cloudy and foggy and difficult. I recently was emailing a brother, it was actually this weekend, and I was reminded of the Peanuts character, Pigpen. Now, if you don't know who Pigpen is, Google it. And he's a kid in the Snoopy comic book, comic strip, Charlie Brown and Snoopy, that walked around always dirty. And he had a cloud. Oh, wherever he went, there was a cloud. And if you got close enough to him, you got to touch the cloud a little bit and the dirt would rub off on you. Do you know people going through long-term trials, they feel the same way. You just feel like you're walking around and there's a cloud covering you. Or there's a fog around you. And you don't quite know what to do or what to say. And even those that are around you, because as you go through the trials, you think, man, nobody understands me. Nobody understands me. Can I just speak to you that it's true? Nobody can truly understand what you're experiencing. Now, the Bible teaches, and I've seen it many times, that God will combine people that have gone through similar situations. That's why we receive the comfort of God in 2 Corinthians, so that we can come alongside and comfort someone else. But, but let's say that you have a person that lost their business over here, and another person that lost their business over here, and they come together. They will never fully understand all the circumstances of that lost business because they've experienced the same thing differently. So there's a relationship, but they won't fully understand. The same with grief. You'll see people with grief match with people with grief, and yet everyone grieves differently. So there's a little bit of the same, but there's a lot different. And the enemy will just come to you and go, you know what, nobody cares about you because nobody understands you and nobody gets it. And I want you that the truth is this. It's true, nobody will truly understand you, but Jesus Christ, he knows you inside and out. He knows you and what you're going through, it's true. And so we don't have to get mad at people and be upset with them. You know, you feel abandoned. You don't even have to isolate yourself at times. I'm sure you feel abandoned. Nobody's calling you anymore and nobody's texting you anymore and, and you're wondering what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. I don't know what's happening in the human realm, but I'll tell you what's happening in the spiritual realm. God is drawing you closer to himself. It's a discomfort. There's a discomfort on people's lives about being around people that are hurting. There's a discomfort and an uneasiness because they come and ask you how you're doing and you don't say, fine, everything's great, and you give them the real answer. Oh, did you really ask? Yes, I really asked. I really want to know. Sit down. Let me tell you how my week has been. And I went through this and I went through that. And you can see it in their face. They're like, I didn't ask. I just wanted them to say, fine. And there's a discomfort. C.S. Lewis in one of his books talked about after the death of his wife in his grief that people would see him coming down the street and purposely avoid him. Not to hurt him, but simply not ready to deal with the, the burden he was carrying. And he sometimes would say that he avoided people as well because of the awkwardness of pain. 
And the awkwardness of pain and grief and difficulty, the awkwardness can be brought to the foot of the cross where Jesus Christ died for you. And you'll find hope and strength day by day, moment by moment to follow him. Don't think it's strange. Every life is touched by trials. I want to end with three things if you're taking notes. I remember listening to this many years ago and I jotted it down from another pastor who is now at home with the Lord. He's gone home to be with the Lord. So what he wrote and taught, he knows is true. And he's in the presence of the Lord right now. And when he shared on the topic of trials, he gave us three things to do in the midst of our trial. Number one, stand still. Stand still. And he uses Moses in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 as the example. Stand still and see the salvation of God. Don't move, stand your ground, and let God show you who he really is. Secondly, stand still, sit, or excuse me, stand still, be still. Be still. He uses David in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, stop talking and start listening. And thirdly, stand still, be still, sit still. And for that, he uses Naomi in Ruth chapter 3, verse 18. Sit still until you know how the matter will turn out. And that's my prayer for you and for us. Stand still, be still, sit still as God rushes into your life to comfort you and strengthen us and take us through another day to his glory. And we'll be enabled to rejoice in the faithfulness of God. Right now, we live by faith, don't we? And we believe that God is faithful. We've even experienced God's faithfulness. There are so many of us here today that if we can look back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, God was faithful, God was faithful, God was faithful, he'll be faithful in this one as well. We look back and see how he solved it. And those times when I don't know how this is going to work out, those times when we lost sleep all night, we don't know. And that, that long middle, that long middle, but that eventually revealed what? The faithfulness of God, not only in the situation, but all the days that you live trusting him. But one day, one day we're going to be in the presence of Jesus and we will be fully convinced of his faithfulness. Right now it's by faith, but one day, one day soon, we're going to be in his presence. And I don't know what our response is going to be other than whoa, but our response is going to be, you are faithful and forever will you be. So Father, again, as we turn our hearts towards you and we launch off in a subject that God we, touches all of our lives in one way or another, I pray for your Holy Spirit to use these times that we gather together to encourage and uplift, to stir us, to reach a city with the gospel, to be faithful in the days that we have left, to give ourselves wholly over to you, to not be uh, buried by the difficulty, Lord, as heavy as it is, go to sleep with it on our minds, wake up with it, and the first have lunch with it, it seems, well, it seems like uh, the trial is a unwelcomed guest. But Father, increase our faith. Help us to fulfill the impossible. Lead us and guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And have your way with us. If you're chastening us, let us learn. We don't want to have to go through it again, man. 
And, and if, it's, if it's just life's trials, then would you strengthen us? And we do pray, Lord, that you would solve the difficulties, that you would heal the pain, that, Lord, you would bring about justice and righteousness, that you would open the womb, that you would restore the marriage, that you would lead a brother to that job that he needs to provide for the needs of his family, that, God, you'd even be overwhelmingly gracious and generous to get a brother out of a problem that he created, to get a sister out of a difficulty that was at her own hands, Lord, but rather the forgiveness and love would flow freely among us and we would truly learn to worship you no matter what. So we dedicate this time to you, Lord. Let it be used in a huge way in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.